What need is there for her to trust me? Sunis asked, surprised. Am I not the one exposing my neck to the wolf? Oh, I hope you haven't said that to her, Edith said, laughing. Indeed, I am not that brave, Sunis admitted. Edith did not say what she was thinking, that Sophos held Jen's heart in his hand, that he was one of very few people who could destroy the king of Atolia, and Atolia knew it. I think we're all going to need to talk about this one in therapy. Thank you for joining us for a walk in the secluded royal gardens. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. It's October 4th, 2020. Return of the Thief comes out in two days. On the 6th, which means we're gonna have to find a new intro line. <laughs> Today we're talking about chapter 14 of A Conspiracy of Kings, but only the first half because it's another doozy. And this chapter is made up of many one-page or two-page scenes all just kind of put together one after the other, which is interesting. I don't, I don't know what to make of that and I don't really have anything to say about it, but... Sophos has arrived at the palace and all of a sudden he's in this whirlwind of things happening that mm -hmm. he's not all that in control of. I feel like the structure of the chapter makes us feel that, like, oh, things are just happening. Yeah, it's one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. Yeah. In quick succession. And Sophos is now in the world of kings and everything is public, public, public. Mm. Even when scenes are taking place in rooms that are ostensibly private rooms, like his first um, interview with just, actually both of his interviews with just Eugenides in this chapter take place in Eugenides' bedroom, which... Yeah, come, come have a business <laughs> meeting in my bedroom. Which should be, you know, like an intimate place for just friends and family, just family maybe. But no, it's the two of them, Jen's attendants, probably like ministers or whatever, the Magus comes. It's just as public as any sort of audience would be anywhere else. But you know who's not there is either of the queens. Yeah. And I wanted to know why you think that is. I had pretty much the same question. I think it's linked to how... Their absence in this one scene is just one more sign of how, in this book specifically, all of the power is held by the men and not the women. Except for the fact that, like, all of the details of the negotiations of which islands right. are we going to keep and give away, that's all with Atolia. Yeah, so I should have said the overt power, but I don't really understand why that is. Because, I mean, obviously, like you just said, the actual behind-the-scenes division of power is equal behind the genders, which we already knew. But it's just, it's interesting that it's, why is it between just the two men? And Sophos even gets more specific later in this chapter, talking to Edis. Uh, the two of them are talking about Atolia, and Sophos says to Edis about Atolia, I did say, though, that I wasn't surrendering to her and I wasn't swearing any oaths to her. It's so interesting because even in this context where they're pretending like their relationship doesn't matter, their relationship is the only thing that's making this all 
happen, which the Magus talks about. He says that no treaty will hold without their friendship. Mm-hmm. And it is very, like, it's such a cool contrast that they, they have this this meeting where it's we're the men and we're deciding things, but they have it in this domestic environment. Like, it's like, come into my bedroom. Yeah. Which is further strange because the first audience that Sophos had with anyone was in the throne room with 500 people watching to make a huge point. So, like... I mean, I guess we could maybe infer from that that this new setting is meant to make the opposite point of you can trust me, you're in my bedroom, whatever you're seeing in a more intimate side of me, but we don't see that in the interaction. Yeah, it feels like a display, like a public display of their intimacy. Like, look, Sunis is my friend, but he's not actually reaching out to Sophos. Yeah, I would, if I had to take a guess, I would guess that was the reason behind it. To have a public display of intimacy that they want to present to other people, maybe. That's so cool. Yeah. I thought about that before, really, the the physical environments that these scenes take place in. But they're so important. Like, the, mm. the throne room and the bedroom and the garden. There's a lot of symbolism going on in the garden. <laughs> That's pretty much the only uh, even sort of truly private space. Mm-hmm. But the bedroom is also significant because Sophos and the Magus, with their insider's knowledge of Jen, are seeing, you know, his bedroom looks just like the library that he used to live in in Edis. His uncle had lived in a room behind a room behind a room, each one lined with silk wall coverings, blah blah blah, and far removed from the people he governed. Soonest thought Jen, cheek by jowl with his guardroom, must be rather more closely entwined in the lives of those around him. On reflection, he suspected Jen was rather more closely entwined than any of the young, than any of the polished young men standing around the guardroom expected. So, maybe another reason to have these conversations in the bedroom on Megan's part is to give us this glimpse. It ends up communicating something to Sophos about Jen, Mm -hmm. which is that he's homesick. And also, maybe that... You know, even though he's become the king of a country, he hasn't, his tastes haven't changed, you know. He's still dressing yeah. ornately, but, like, he's not surrounding himself in, I don't know, gold and jewels and silk on the walls. Which could be, like, he's still the same person underneath. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the place where he wants to be at home. And Sophos thinks, I just came into this room and I noticed this and I saw this and this wasn't something that Jen intended for me to know. But... Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe that was why he had the meeting there. And I love that there's that dual reason for it. Yeah. It it reminds Jen of home, but also it allows him to be closer to the people who are... Around him. uh, Yeah, to be more closely entwined in the lives of those around him, which is practical and useful for Jen. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he knows all those guys so well. He knows all their names. He knows all their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that in this section, we can see from a from a non-Atolian perspective how territorial the Atolians are about this. He <laughs> says, like, oh, the king's rooms are very plain, and they are not the royal apartments. His majesty chose these rooms in preference, and has arranged for the queen to remain in the royal apartments, as it suits them both. He managed to convey that they had rooms every bit as nice as any in Sunis, and also that it wasn't anyone's business but theirs where the king slept. <laughs> oh that's our weird foreigner thank you very much <laughs> this one scene with the bedroom and 
Sophos thinking, you know, what does this mean for Jen as a person? Like, we get the insight that, like, in King of Atolia, we get the we get the bare details that, you know, the room is plain. But here in Conspiracy of Kings, we get, like, what does that mean for Jen? It means that it looks just like the library. It means that he's homesick. So I was expecting in King of Atolia, when I first read it, that we would get more details like that about Jen as a person. But we get yeah. more of them here than we do in King of Atolia. Because Sophos has that context. Mm-hmm. Another contrast between the two books is I wanted to point out that Sophos in this book, I feel like their narration almost all of the time refers to him as Sudis. And it refers to him as Sophos in situations where it needs to be specific that it's talking about him on a more personal level. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting compared to how Jen, most of the time, I think in both books, isn't called Atollis. And it's he's called, in this book, he's called either Eugenides or Jen, or maybe the king. And, like, I was thinking, do you think that could maybe be because Eugenides has had such an identity crisis over being king that he can still split a little bit more, especially since Costas was having that same, like... He's not really the king, Grisus, for most of a king of Atolia, but Sunus, Sophos, whatever. He's clear from the get-go that he is Sunus. I think that it could also reflect the the way that Sophos thinks about himself. Because yeah. Eugenides has this whole thing where his name is also his title, and like he, he, he can't separate, you can't separate Eugenides from anything that he's doing. Whereas Sophos is like, I have to leave sophos behind now Mm -hmm. because that was a a weak person and a person who who wasn't expected to succeed as king and now i have to be soonest i think we're still like we're still getting a narration that hoots forward a particular perspective even though we're in third person now oh and in the same bedroom scene it's referring to the attendants when it says trained in all the arts of writing shooting fighting dancing and clever court dialogue their kind had intimidated him for years and sophos now soonest quailed at the idea of surrounding himself with such companions makes my heart contract and he has no idea about the the difficulty that jen has had with his companions his um his attendants yeah the gender is so interesting because it feels like a lot of that description feels very much like an accomplished woman to me yeah those are like the they, same type of skills yeah except for the the fighting atolia there's a lot of atolia in this chapter yeah i love it uh it mentioned she was intimidating as ever cool and beautiful with never a word that was unkind or one that was kind either and it also says that she was a wellspring of information she spoke freely about the organization of her army uh, she offered ready information about how she moved her cannon. And why do you think that she's doing that? Well, I saw someone else answer that question a long time ago on Tumblr, so I am stealing their answer because I agree with it. <laughs> Thank you, whoever said this. I don't remember who it was. It's uh, a collective effort. Yes. They said it's an act of friendship for Jen's friend, pretty much. Like, you know, she knows... Oh, that's nice. Yeah, she knows how much Jen loves Sophos. And she wants to help him. And then also, I mean, we have the same... You can say the exact same thing on the political front. She needs Sunus to succeed as a king. So she needs to give him all the help she can because they want a united peninsula, whatever. But 
that means the same thing on a political and personal level. Like she needs to help him out. <laughs> I also like that. It's nice. That's that's what making a friend means for Atolia. Yeah. Is I will tell you about how I organize my artillery. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what is going on? And she does know how much Jen cares about him and we know that because of that line that he was one of very few people who could destroy the king of atolia and atolia knew it and i love that and it gives us a new perspective on what we've been wondering about for the last two chapters about why does jen maintain such a distance from sophos and i think sophos like poses a danger to him he maybe doubts his own resolve in the face oh. of of regaining real intimacy with Sophos. Yeah, you mean like he thinks if they're friends again, he might not, you know, have the ruthlessness to do what he needs on a political level if it means fucking yeah. over Sophos? No, I mean, it's worded that Sophos could destroy him because yeah. he held Jen's heart in his hand. <sighs> and we'll get the reverse of that later, won't we? Sophos would give yeah. him his heart on a toothpick. Yeah. Ugh. Another priceless view of Atolia is... No doubt she had overcome her own rebels with ten men and a penknife. Like John Wick. <laughs> they don't give Sophos as many soldiers as he was hoping for. But, as a matter of strategy, overwhelming force will make you less king, not more. He can't show up in Sunis as the head of what looks like an Atolian invasion. So they're really, they're walking a very thin rope where they have to help Sophos, but Sophos can't be their puppet. Like, he has to be wholly independent but also still beholden it's very uh, <laughs> delicate and it's ironic that this advice is coming from atolia who is the queen of overwhelming force <laughs> you know well no i'm being unfair of, of, she's not really she's also devious and smart and yeah yeah like it was very much judiciously applied yeah and then we get the scene with sophos and edis in the garden in that almost, almost private space. And they do still have attendants and the Magus with them, but they're behind them and they're out of earshot. Yeah. It also, the way that it describes it is that the Magus has one of Atolia's attendants on one arm and one of Edith's attendants on the other, <laughs> which is <laughs> very politic. <laughs> and they talk about this elaborate game of telephone that they're all playing, where... I talk to you, who talks to Jen, who talks to Atolia, who talks to me, and maybe we get the Magus and Ornon in there, and then it all reverses and it goes back around again. Is this whole game of telephone just to circumvent the fact that Sophos and Jen aren't talking, or would it be happening anyway? I would imagine there's elements of both. And also, I think it could be maybe related to how all their schedules are constrained like wouldn't it be easier if they could have one meeting with all of them every day sure but their schedules probably don't work like that yeah and also like everybody wants to be involved everybody wants a piece of the pie and interestingly ornan is the one who got this particular political ball rolling apparently about the neutral islands so that means ornan is still here in atolia and he has not yet left for the mead empire with costas to go get Kamet. Mm -hmm. So that can maybe tell us a little bit more about the timeline. Mm -hmm. I guess we can assume... Do we think Costas has left yet? I kind of got the sense he came with Ornon, but, you know, I have no confirmation for that. Other than they're there at the same time in the Gazeves at the beginning, and then Costas 
when he's saying how he got to the Mede Empire, he said, we came by a ship. I mean, it's very possible that Costas could be standing three feet from Sophos and Sophos has no yeah. reason to be like, that guy's important. That's true. You know, we would never know. And we have a myth in this chapter. Oh, yes. On top of everything else. And we're only halfway through. <laughs> it's story time with Helen. Does I, Helen tell the most myths post-thief? I was just going to say something like that. Yeah, I think maybe. Because she told the one about Hespira. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, okay, Kamet tells all the ones in Thickasies, but other than Kamet, sure. Yeah, and the other, there's a myth in this story that literally comes to Sophos in a dream. Yeah, but also from a woman. Yeah. I feel like that, that ties into Helen as messenger. Mm. Which is still a thing that I don't really know how to think about it. I like this myth. It's nice. It's fun. Ocrassus is giving Polystrictus these goats because Polystrictus did a favor for the god. I want the deets. <laughs> what favor could a mortal do for a god? I want the deets. And I like that the um, the god's reward causes more problems. <laughs> because I think that's... that's <laughs> I'd call that a theme. Yeah. He's trying to remember the names of all these goats so that he can control them and he's staying up all night reciting the names of the goats when really all he needed was a dog and then he would just need to remember the dog's name and the dog could control all the goats for him. So Sophos needs to find his simple solution to this complex problem. Mm. I feel like it's the, the message that Helen is trying to get across to him. And Sophos replies to the end of the myth saying alas my problem is barons not goats and i have no dog so he is possibly much more readily than jen putting himself in the shoes of whatever mythical characters he's hearing about you know he said in this chapter aren't i the one exposing my neck to the wolf which 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 when the god gives polystrictes the dog, it's the first dog ever created, and Polystrictes thinks that it's a wolf, mm -hmm. and he's afraid of it. Oh my god! I hadn't thought of that. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that Sophus's first reaction to hearing this myth is to think, okay, how does this apply to my own personal life? And a little bit, I guess, Kamet and Costas kind of think like that too, but in a more figurative way. But this isn't something we really saw from Jen in the first two books, at least, maybe also in King of Atolia, even though the character about which all the myths were told in The Thief and Queen of Atolia, almost, at least The Thief, was named the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I, I was thinking about that. Maybe, like, you know, Sophos, we already know from his poetry education, his play education, he's already, I feel like, much more used to thinking of the world in terms of story in his own life in terms of story and, you know, and he, character he arcs. Teaching and, tools. Yeah. But also, I kind of feel like Sophos as a person can maybe get more out of, out of viewing himself in this light than Jen ever could. I was kind of thinking it has something to do with, like, self-confidence, you know? Jen has yeah. never needed the safety and security of falling back on a myth to say, I'm going to get out of this fine. You know, Morphos yeah. beat this wolf. I can beat the wolf. I don't know. I think that, that Sophos, Sophos finds comfort in the idea of 
working through things by by putting himself in the position of a character in a story. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Jen, that scares Jen a little bit. Why? Because if he's just a character in a story, he's not in control. Mm, yeah. And I think Jen Jen wants to Jen wants to be in charge of his own life, and Sophos is afraid of being in charge of his own life. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't this whole book really Sophos learning how to step up? It would be more of a clean contrast if he went from having no control to being completely in charge. And, like, he's still subject to so many forces in the second half of the book. And, like, he's lost in a lot of ways and he's becoming bound to Atolia. And so, like, he's still... He's he's knee-deep in obligation. Whoever has the job of providing all of the glassware for... The, the, the royal apartments in Jen's room. I feel really bad for them because no. stuff is always getting smashed. Oh, don't feel bad, dude. They're putting that guy's kids through college. <laughs> They're probably all so nice. Every glass that Jen has broken by throwing it against the wall <laughs> costs more than my house. <laughs> Another little thing in this chapter that it's like a whole paragraph but it's really easy to miss because you're you're going from one thing to another and it's just sort of there on the way is uh the physicians sophos comes to see jen and as he is arriving um galen and the other physician are leaving and they are upset they're leaving jen's room and then sophos goes to see jen and he doesn't ask jen about it and he doesn't really think anymore about it and so we're left to speculate what happened why does he need doctors his doctor's so upset getting too far ahead we find out why he upset them later but not why he called them in the first place you know i mean his health has never been the same i know know that we get the hints we get a bunch and during that next little scene where he walks past the physicians to get in for his next little bedroom interview um it says Eugenides' attendants moved in and out of his bedchamber while he and Sunas talked, but Jen ignored them as if they didn't exist. Taking his cue, Sunas did the same. And I remember one or two chapters in the future when all the monarchs are having the same are having a conversation over dinner in like a private room. The attendants also move in and out, but they're ignored the same time. So I'm just like, what what do you think what's the point of this exactly? Here we are, having a private conversation. We don't even notice you're here. I hope no one eavesdrops, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it really feels like they're all... Sophos narrates this later at the very end of the book when he's with Hinactus, but it feels like they're all mouthing parts in a play, as he says then. You know, it feels like they're performing. For some and goal. poor Sophos did not go to rehearsal. <laughs> it's like every stress dream I've ever had. A line that I really love in this chapter is when they're talking about, you're giving me this many soldiers and what happens if the Medes arrive on my doorstep. Atolia says, any attack on their part, the Medes, would reveal their plans to conquer Sunus, not ally with it, and strengthen your position as king if you have convinced your barons that you are king. Which I love as a word choice. It's not if you can convince your barons that you should be king. It's if you can convince your barons that you are king. Mm -hmm. Sophos has to be king. 
before anybody has told him he can be. And that is what makes him legitimate. Mm-hmm. I do wonder what life is like on one of those independent neutral islands. Yeah. How big are they? But life on the islands that aren't the neutral islands gotta be tense. I imagine it doesn't really affect the life of your average peasant very much. Unless you die. <laughs> Unless you die. <laughs> I have to wake up every morning and check who's ruling us today. <laughs> That's chapter 14, part 1. Before getting to part 2, we will be doing an episode on our first reactions to Return of the Thief. I can't believe it's coming! I know, it's finally here, almost here. Which, uh, will, be warned, probably spoil the entire book. Don't listen to it until you've finished the book if you don't want to be totally spoiled. Yeah, huge spoiler alarm for that. No holds barred. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atelianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. <laughs>